0: The book of John was written by Jesus' apostle John sometime between 85 and 90 AD. John set out to convince a mainly Greek audience of the divinity of Jesus and the life found in his name. The book opens with a poem pointing to the very start of creation. Jesus is called the Word, present in the beginning, participating in every aspect of creation the fulfillment of the will of God. The Word is both distinct from God and God himself. He is divine and man come to bear witness to the light. Despite having followed every step of Jesus's ministry, John selects a few choice stories about Jesus to argue his case. While speaking with a rabbi, Jesus insists on the need to be reborn to experience God's kingdom. A non-Jewish woman encounters Jesus while drawing water, and Jesus offers her living water, pointing to himself as the source of true life. Jesus miraculously provides food for crowds and then calls them to eat his flesh, the bread of life, which will be given for the world. The Jewish leaders accuse Jesus of breaking the commandments when he heals on the Sabbath, and Jesus responds that it is his Father who is at work enraging the leaders with his claim to Divine Sonship. With each of these encounters, Jesus claims to be the I Am of the Old Testament, the fully human embodiment of God, the one true God to discredit all other false Who, is. He is the promised messianic king and redeemer of Israel, who will die for the sins of the world. Jesus gives up his authority, power, and divinity as the Word, the Son of God, to die a brutal human death. But through his servant sacrifice, Jesus becomes a source of life to the lost, the hungry, and the broken, forgiving the sin debt they could not pay, paving the way to relationship with the Father. John chose these signs and works of Jesus to form a rich, complex portrait so that you may trust that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name.
1: About six years ago, my wife and I decided that we needed a little bit more room in our 1,600-square-foot bungalow. Uh, We had five kids, and we decided that we were going to put on an addition. So uh, there was this big hole that was dug in our yard, and one of the things... um, that you know about house projects is if you do it yourself, you can save some money, right? Famous last words. You guys are laughing at me. You know where this is going. Well, one of the things that we had to do since it was off the back of our house is that we had to move our electrical wire from where it was, put it t- temporarily somewhere else, and then reattach it to the house. But in doing that, we had the opportunity to bury it in the ground rather than have an electrical wire run through our backyard. Makes sense, right? And the electrician is like, you know, you can save about $600 if you dig the trench yourself. Well, you know how these projects go. I mean, they always take longer than you want them to, and they cost more. And so we're like, we can do this. Let's do this. I can, you know, I can do this. And, and we rented what's called a ditch witch. So I'm thinking, okay, I know how to run a snowblower. I do every day. It can't be that much different. I mean, I have YouTube. It's gotta be easy, right? Can save $600. And so I knew that it was gonna be a little different when we got that rental thing there. I mean, look at that picture. It's like a four foot chainsaw that weighs a ton. And I'm behind this thing thinking, this is not a snowblower. <laughs> Maybe it's a snowblower I need, but it's not the snowblower I have. And so we, we started doing it, and it was going great. You'll see the, the picture there. Look at that straight line. I'm working it. And, and you know, like Duluth, like underground, it's clay, and it's rock, and that thing goes through everything. It goes through everything. And it's cranking it. But then toward the end, I had to turn it around because it wasn't going to go all the way to the pole, and I had to back it up. And, and as I was backing it up and the, the lines were about to meet, I hit a previous neighbor of mine decided it would be a great ideal to bury their like clothesline and the, the post stump, so this massive thing of concrete all of a sudden comes churning up. And, and as it's doing that, and I'm, I'm walking back, all of a sudden the, the machine starts to sink lower and lower and lower into the trench. And so we get that scene that you see before you. And as I'm standing at this trench that's been dug, I realize... I need some help. I mean, my wife is strong, but her and I are not going to pull that one-ton thing out of the ground, and I'm thinking in my mind, we rented it for 24 hours, what am I going to do? I have no way of getting this out of the ground. I need some help. And so, if you're in this church and you need some help, you call Dave Messagetic. And Dave Messagetic is the guy who either knows a guy, or he is the guy. And he brings over his bobcat, and he pulls that thing. Some of you guys are laughing, because you're like, yeah, he bailed me out, too. Um, And we got that thing out of the ground, and we brought it back to London Road Rentals. And and there's a happy ending to the story. My house works, and the electricity works just fine. Why do I tell you that story, other than to have you laugh at me? Um, In John 14... Jesus' disciples find themselves in a similar position where they realize we're going to need some help. They've just been told some things by Jesus that are incredibly overwhelming to them. Jesus said, I am going to be leaving you soon. He's in the process of telling them things are going to get harder for you. Judas has just left to betray Jesus. And despite Peter's boast that he will willingly die for Jesus, Jesus said, yeah, actually in the next 24 hours, You're going to deny that you even know me three times. Suffice it to say that the disciples are in desperate need of some help. And what Jesus promises them in this moment is that help is on the way. Not in the form of Dave Messegetic, but someone far greater. And he would agree. The Holy Spirit of God. So it's here in the upper room, the night before his arrest and crucifixion, that Jesus gives some of the most extensive teaching on the Spirit that is to come. The Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate, the one who will give them help. Let's read John 14, starting in verse 12, and we'll go to the end of the chapter. "'Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father.'" Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, And now that I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Here's the big idea for today. If you don't get anything else, make sure you write this down. Jesus promises us help and peace through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises us help and peace through the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you find yourself this morning in need of a little peace, or you find yourself like I did six years ago in need of a little help, you're in good company. Jesus saw your need and promised not only to his disciples, but to us that he would send the Spirit. But before he does that, he makes a pretty astounding claim in verses 12, 13, and 14, doesn't he? Truly, truly, I say to you, Now, Jesus often began his teaching with truly, truly, I say to you. This way of speaking got him in trouble with the religious leaders of his day. It was a way of appealing to his own authority to speak and to teach according to God's will. Jesus is essentially saying, on the basis of who I am, what I'm saying to you is true. This is what God's will is. He's appealing to his own authority to speak. Now, that's all fine and good, but what he actually claims is rather astounding. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Oh my goodness. That seems like a blank check that Jesus is writing to us, saying, whatever you want, it's you got it. Doing greater things than even Jesus, what does that even mean? Does it mean that the church simply did more volume of work than Jesus? More miracles than Jesus, as some might suggest? Well, no, it's, it's not actually talking about the volume of the work, but a- actually the, the, the nature of the work themselves. So does that mean that the disciples and that us are going to do greater miracles than even Jesus? I mean, Jesus healed the sick raised the dead, cast out demons, the, the lame walk, the blind see. The storm was calmed with just words from his mouth saying, peace be still, and even nature obeyed him. Now, I, I can honestly say those things are not on my resume. <laughs> and my guess is that they're, they're probably not on your resume either. Now, you may have prayed for someone and God healed them. Or you may have seen miraculous works happen, but My guess is you probably haven't seen the sheer volume that Jesus saw during his ministry. So what exactly does it mean when Jesus says, greater works than even I, you will do when the Spirit comes. Uh, Colin Cruz, a Bible scholar, writes this, The disciples' works were greater than his because they had the privilege of testifying by word and deed to the finished work of Christ and the fuller coming of the kingdom that it ushered in. Whereas Jesus' ministry prior to his death and resurrection only foreshadowed these things. So what he says, and I I think I agree with him, it's the best explanation I have because even though God does move and work through the Spirit and he does move in those ways, I don't think any of us have that resume. But what we do have is the fuller extent of what Jesus actually came to do, namely to save sinners. Sorry, I'm getting better at that mute button though, aren't I? You're welcome. Jesus was merely pointing to what he would do. He was giving us a glimpse or a taste. But after this, we would see his death for sinners in their place. We would see his resurrection in victory over Satan, sin, and death. And by faith in his name, we would be able to be reconciled with God and the Holy Spirit come and dwell in us. That's even greater than what he was pointing to. Or that, that was what he was pointing to. And so my best understanding is not that we're going to do better miracles than Jesus, although some would teach that, but rather that that the finished work of what he has done will be seen and manifest and demonstrated, sometimes through signs and wonders, often through the proclamation that salvation is now possible in him. Either way, that's a high calling. That's That's a monumental task. And if we're going to do that, we're going to need some help. Now... Does Jesus really give his his disciples a blank check for whatever they ask for? Uh, Yes and no. He's going to continue explaining what he means and that what they would ask for would be in alignment with his heart and his will. But if they're going to do what he did, if they're going to ask things like this, we can all agree at this point they're going to need some help. And so Jesus promises that the helper will come. That's what he addresses in the rest of the chapter. Now, can I be honest with you about reading John's gospel? It's challenging for me sometimes. It's very simple language. It's straightforward language. And yet, it's very meditative or reflective in how it talks, isn't it? Like, there are some lines in here that, like, make Hobby Lobby so much money. (laughs) Like, you put them on a a plaque and you're like, oh, that's beautiful. (laughs) Things like, you know him for he dwells with you and in you. My goodness, we could meditate on that for a month. Or, because I live, you also will live. Amazing. Jesus comes to give us life. Or, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not like the world gives. There's all of these incredible nuggets for us to think about and meditate on. We're like, that's amazing. And yet, when we read all the way through it, we're like, what did I just read? Come on, I'm not the only one, am I? Where we read through that, we're like, that was really cool. What, what did I just read? I, I don't really understand all that much. It's because he's very reflective, very meditative. It's meant to be just pondered and thought over. And so I don't normally like using lists to understand the Bible. But with John, I actually find it rather helpful. So here you go. Six things, six ways that the Holy Spirit helps us in this passage. Six things that the Holy Spirit does to help us first. He says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Now the phrase another helper implies that they already have a helper, don't they? Who's the helper do you think Jesus is talking about? Himself. He's revealing to them what God desires of them. He's revealing to them the, the rule and the reign of God breaking into this world. And so another helper, another advocate is the Spirit, who's going to come and, and demonstrate even in a more profound way what he's all about. The Greek word that's translated as helper is the word paraclete. It can be translated either as helper or as advocate or intercessor. And, and Jesus tells us in many ways that his role is to advocate or to intercess, intercede, sorry, intercede for us. And he says the Spirit is going to do those things as well. So here's the six things that the Spirit does in this passage. First, the Holy Spirit helps us to do greater works than Jesus did. Verses 12 to 14. The Holy Spirit will help us keep Jesus' commandments and express our love to him. Verses 15 to 17. The Holy Spirit, third, helps us to experience the Trinitarian love of God. That's going to take a while to unpack. Verses 18 to 24. For the Holy Spirit will help us understand by teaching us And then five, the Holy Spirit will help us remember what he taught us at the right time. Those are both in verse 26. And then finally in verse 27, the Holy Spirit gives us the peace of Jesus himself. Now we've already talked about the first one, that the Holy Spirit helps us to do greater works than even Jesus did. It's a truly astounding promise. One that you think Jesus might later on back off of a little bit. But actually, two chapters later in chapter 16, he doubles down on it. He says in chapter 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And it will be even better. Now, I bet most of us, if, if, if choosing between Pastor Kyle and Pastor Jesus preaching this morning, myself included, would say, Pastor Jesus, sign me up for that. It would be great if Jesus was here to teach us and help us to understand what God was all about. But if Jesus was here, that means that he would only be in this church. Not all around the world as the church gathers in local communities of gospel light. Jesus says, it's actually better for me to go so that the Spirit will come so that he can be with you wherever you go. And anywhere that my people gather, he will be there helping you to understand and and grasp these truths and helping all of you. So that's why Jesus says it's going to be better when the Advocate comes. So second, we've already talked about the greater things. Proclaiming the, the, the message of the gospel. Demonstrating signs and wonders to confirm its truth. Second, the Holy Spirit will help us keep Jesus' commandments and express our love to him. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, in in four different places, this idea of, if you love me, you will keep my commandments pops up. In verse 15, verse 21, verse 23, and verse 24, this phrase is not meant to be there to condemn us every time that we mess up, but help us to see that the obedience that God desires from us flows out of a heart that truly loves him, and that the Holy Spirit is going to help us love him and obey him. See, one of the ways that we express our love to God is through obedience to his word, by believing that his word is true to the point where we actually stake our life on it. We actually make our decisions in light of it. Now, we don't obey God to manipulate him into giving us the stuff that we really want, but in realizing that he has come to give us life, and life abundantly, or a life that overflows. And so when Jesus speaks of keeping his commandments or keeping his word, I can't help but thinking of what he has just said in chapter 13 at the end about the new commandment that he gave to us. Jesus says in 1334, a new commandment I give to you. So right before he says, he will help you keep my commandments, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. It doesn't seem very new. In fact, all of the law was boiled down to these two realities. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so when Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, you're like, that's not a new commandment, Jesus. Oh, but wait. He ups the ante. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what Jesus is actually redefining as true sacrificial love is the love that he shows to us. And that becomes the standard for keeping his commandment, to love one another. More than that, he actually even gives the outside world the power to either validate or invalidate whether or not we're truly his disciples by how we love each other. Whoo! That means there's a little bit at stake in this little thing that we call church, isn't it? It means that we can't just treat each other however we want and let our flesh just spill out. That we are to love each other as Jesus has self-sacrificially loved us. Now, I know you. I'm gonna need some help to do that. And you're like, Kyle, we know you too. (laughs) And I say yes and amen. We're gonna need some help if we're gonna love each other like that. This is the new standard for love, that we love like Jesus has loved us. But the Holy Spirit will help us to do it, to keep his commandment, to obey him. Now, if you've been tracking with us through the thread, this is what was promised in Jeremiah. This is what was promised in Ezekiel, that we would have a new heart, with God's law written on it, so that what we want to do now is what God wants that we would have a new spirit poured out on us that we might actually obey the new desires of our new heart. This is being fulfilled before our eyes in Jesus. He's saying, I'm going to send the helper so that what Ezekiel promised and Jeremiah promised will happen for you. You'll actually be able to keep my word because you'll have help. (laughs) If you know him, this is what you want to do. You want to obey him. Verse 17, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's profound, isn't it? A helper, an advocate who dwells with us, is with us all the time. And more than that, he is in us. That's going to take a little bit to unpack, isn't it? See, he does so much more than simply empower us for the work that he calls us to does so much more than just help us to obey. Actually, number three, the Holy Spirit helps us to experience the Trinitarian love of God. Let me explain. Verse 18 to 24. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, how'd you love that for the name, as one of his disciples, not Iscariot, just saying, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These verses are challenging for us to track, aren't they? I am in the Father, you are in me, I am in you. My commands, my Father's commands, I'm revealing to you the Father. Like, who are we talking about? Are these Jesus' words or the Father's words? Do we obey Jesus or do we obey the Father? Yes. 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 What Jesus is actually saying here as he just kind of intertwines all together is that the Holy Spirit helps us to experience the love that God has in himself. The love of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the, the Holy Spirit overflowing in love that we actually are invited in to experience that love made possible because of the Spirit's work. He taps us in to experience the love of the Trinity. Now, when we think about the Holy Spirit and the work that the Holy Spirit does, usually the first things that come to our mind is the Spirit empowers us to do ministry. The Spirit convicts us of sin. The Spirit helps us understand the Scriptures. But what's promised here is even more foundational than what the Spirit does through us or in us. The Holy Spirit helps us to experience the love of God. As more than simply an intellectual reality, mind you. He invites us in, so to speak, of the love that he experiences with the Father, and Jesus says, You get to experience that too. How does he do that? By inviting us into the family. I will not leave you of or- as orphans. I will come to you. An orphan is one without parents, without family, without connections. And and Jesus says, all of those who are in me are not orphans. You have family. And it's a family that's out of your league. It's my family. It's the nature of God himself. He is making his home in us. We will come to him and make our home with him. And he helps us to truly live. He says, because I live, you also will live. See, as human beings, we find ourselves often looking for a home, a place that feels like home that we can rest, a people, family, a life that exhibits flourishing, and what God does is he invites us into his very life, his family, his love, and we find in that that we actually live, that we were created for that. That God, in his goodness, out of the overflow of who he is, created us to experience him. I guess you could actually back up in the gospel and say the good news of the gospel is that God gives us himself. God welcomes us into a family that's way out of our league. He, He invites us to experience a love that even the best of human love merely echoes and gives glimpses of. Holy Spirit helps us to commune with God, to experience Trinitarian love. Each one of these phrases we could meditate on for a week or a month and still not plumb the depths of, right? That in Christ you are not orphans, you have not been rejected, but welcomed into the family. That through the Holy Spirit, the helper, God makes his home in you. Because Jesus lives, you will find life Now, it's one thing for us to to nod along when I talk about that, to be like, oh yeah, that's what the Bible's teaching us here. But do you feel that? Have you experienced that kind of love before? Do you live like that's true, that God invites you into the very nature of who he is to experience his love in ways that will blow your mind and make sin seem so stupid? I've got to tell you, in high school... I grew up as a church kid. I grew up in Sunday school and listening to my dad preach every week, and I learned about the love of God, and I said, yes, I believe that. Yes, Jesus is my Savior. Yes, Jesus is my Lord. Yes, the Bible is true. But then I met my f- some friends of mine, and they would talk about the love of God as if it was something they actually experienced. They would talk about relationship with him in a way that made me feel like well, I could get the test right, but do I actually relate to God like that? And I realized I didn't. I realized that I could get the test right, that I believed it, but, that, but the, the belief was all up here. And it wasn't down here. There wasn't a subjective experience of the goodness and the love of God, it was merely an intellectual idea. And that kind of intellectual idea of God's love won't cause you to say no to temptation. It won't. It won't cause you to want to obey him and to live in him. It actually wrongly believes that God tolerates it and that what, to really truly live, you got to go outside of what he has said is good and right, and that's the only way that you're going to have any fun. But he loves you anyway. Rather than life is found in him. And the peace and the comfort that all of these other worldly things promise, they can't deliver. They're counterfeits. They promise what they can't deliver, and we buy it over and over and over again, and we long for more. Why? Because we're made for God. We're made to find our life in him and to experience him, and I'm way off my notes, but you need to know this. It happens. See? Came for the second service. I already got one under my belt. You're like, I'm looking at my watch now, and we got three more things to get through. Okay, the next two are linked. It'll be quicker. (laughs) Number four and five, the Holy Spirit will help us to understand by teaching us the truth. Verse 26, and the Holy Spirit will help us remember what he taught us at the right time. Verse 26, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, said Jesus, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The helper will not only teach us the truth, but he will help us to understand the truth in the moment that we actually need it. This is good news, isn't it? Yeah. It means that you don't have to rely on my teaching ability to understand the Bible, that the Spirit will help you understand what God desires and what God wants in your life. It also means that in the moment that you need it, the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance the things that you've learned. Now, I see a lot of students in the room, and I see some teachers in the room. Teachers, just because you have taught something does not mean that the students have grasped it. Am I right? You're like, I've got, a, I got some, some paper that have lots of red pen that says that that's true. Or students, just because the teacher taught you and you studied it does not mean that when the test comes, you are going to bring to mind the correct answer to that, right? Yeah? Or that later on, after you've gotten your degree in college, and you're in your work, and your career, and you realize, oh, that actually makes sense now, and I need to use that. It doesn't guarantee that that's going to happen. But the Holy Spirit helps us by not only teaching us what God desires, but in the moment that we need it, bringing it to mind. You're like, I'm a Christian. I should do better on tests. Well, maybe not exactly all that, but... The Holy Spirit brings to mind in those moments of temptation so that we can resist because we know the truth. The Holy Spirit brings to remembrance when I'm talking to my friend about Jesus and, and the hope that I have in him, things that weren't necessarily on my mind but are true and they need to hear in that particular moment. That's the work of the helper helping you. And why does God do it that way? So that you don't think you're awesome. Why does God do that when I preach? So that I don't think I'm awesome. So that he gets the glory for it. And you know what? The the spirit that's working even in me now actually has been poured out on you and is going to work in you as you are sent from this place. So the spirit helps us to understand the truth by teaching us, by bringing to remembrance at the right time, finally, the Holy Spirit gives us peace. The peace of Jesus himself. Verse 27, Peace I leave with you, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's so encouraging, isn't it? That we're given peace that's different than worldly peace. The peace that Jesus himself experienced. Now there's a lot of ways that we can find worldly or temporary peace, isn't there? Take a vacation, get a little break, lose yourself in a movie or a good book. Get your favorite drink at Caribou and all of a sudden you feel a little bit better. Go to your favorite restaurant, buy that thing that you've been eyeing up for a little while, and all of these things give some measure of peace, some measure of comfort, some measure of taking our mind off of the pain and the heartache of this world. But they're not lasting. They don't actually follow through. Or we can do blatantly sinful ways to to get a little peace or to escape the world. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, gambling, casual sexual relationships temporarily cause us to escape from the pain and the agony of this world. But here's the truth. Those counterfeits often leave you worse than when you started, don't they? They leave you more in bondage and more in pain than what you thought you were escaping. And they compound it. Because they're counterfeits. They promise what they can't deliver. And we buy it over and over and over again. We need help. And Jesus promises it through the Spirit. Peace that only Jesus brings and experiences. Peace to bring to mind the truth in those moments of temptation. Peace to know the truth. Peace to experience a greater love. Than we could ever imagine so that those things are seen as the counterfeits they truly are. Peace to do what we can't do on our own power and our own strength. Peace to actually obey and live the life that God has created me to live. Now that's not all that the Holy Spirit does. But that's what John 14 tells us. And Jesus concludes by driving home this point. You have heard me say, verse 28 to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, but the ruler, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. I love that. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Jesus told his disciples all the things that were going to happen in order to strengthen their faith. He says, if you really get what I'm saying to you, you would be happy for me and you'd be happy for you. Happy for me because I get to go back to my Father. Happy for you because I will come to you in a new way through the power of the Holy Spirit. And isn't it interesting that Jesus is giving these words to his disciples and they, John writes about it 50 years later, but in the moment he had no idea. He had no idea. He was listening, but he didn't have the Spirit. He was going to scatter with all the other disciples and abandon Jesus in his moment of greatest need, even though Jesus said, I'm telling you right now, so that when it happens, you'll know. But when the Spirit came, they're like, oh, he told us. He told us everything he was going to do. And what does that do? That encourages, that's, that, that strengthens their faith that what Jesus says, he delivers, meaning that the helper has come. And we benefit greatly from that. Brothers and sisters, these are amazing promises, aren't they? Do you live like they're true? Do you experience the love and the beauty of the truth of these promises? Do You buy counterfeits. I ask you, maybe just take a moment now. Which of these six promises of help is most applicable to you today? most resonates with you this morning. Maybe you just write it down and meditate on it for the week. The promise of power and empowerment for the works that Jesus did. The promise of peace that might bring your soul to rest. The promise of adoption and welcome into the very love of the family of God. Life might feel for you today how I felt when I was looking at that one-ton one ditch digger fallen in the trench and you know you can't do it on your own you need some help but the good news of the gospel is that Jesus sends us that help those who believe in him who have trusted in the finished work that his life and death and resurrection did accomplish for us have now been given the helper So some of you guys are wondering, how do I know if I have the helper in my life, if I have the Spirit of God in my life? Here's the thing. If you believe in Jesus, you do. You wouldn't believe in him otherwise. You wouldn't confess the offense or the foolishness of the gospel if the Spirit hadn't already been working at some point in your life. But are you letting him help you? Are you letting him guide you? Are you relying on his strength and his help more than your own? In the words of the Mandalorian, this is the way. (laughs) I lost you now. Kyle, stick to the notes. This week, our staff team was down at the Twin Cities at our district's or denomination's annual conference. And one of the things that they had us do during our time of worship is read out loud together our statement of faith, our doctrinal confession together, which sounds dry and dusty and boring until you do it and you realize, oh my goodness, this is an amazing statement of what God has done. So I want to close our time together by actually reading Article 6 of our statement of faith about the work of the Holy Spirit together. So if this doesn't go well, I know we're in northern Minnesota, we won't do this again, but the first service, it went really well, so no pressure. So I'm going to read. You read with me, okay? This is what we believe about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit, in all that he does, glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners. And in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. That wasn't so hard. See, I find myself as I read through that being like, that's in John 14. And that's in John 14. And that's in John 14. And wait a second, this statement just came from the Bible, But I also see other things in there that John 14 doesn't teach because this isn't the only place Jesus teaches it. God, thank you for not only your word, but for your help. For your Holy Spirit dwelling now in us so that we can comprehend and we can experience and we can know your love and experience your power. God, help us to not live in our own power, in our own flesh, in our own strength, but to rely on the helper to do what we can't do. Holy Spirit, would you move and work so that greater works would be done in Rock Hill Community Church than even Jesus did? Would you help us to resist the counterfeits and the temptations and the false assurances of peace that the world offers that we might find it truly in you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.